We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And uh, before I get into today's show, I got a great interview uh, with Spike Cohen. I'm going to be sharing with you where we get into his entrepreneurial journey and a bunch of different uh, areas and topics that uh, I don't think I've heard him really talk about that often. So a really cool experience. I got to interview Spike um, in person uh, at the Pennsylvania Libertarian Convention. And that was last week up in Williamsport, PA. If you haven't checked it out, I actually recorded a uh, a follow-up episode describing what happened at the LPPA convention. Um, There was some dramatic stuff that went down. A lot of different accusations from from both parties. I gave my perspective on what I thought happened, what I thought really led to uh, the butting of heads and all of the toxicity uh, that has gone back and forth, especially in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has really been the height of this uh, this clash within the Libertarian Party. So that episode where I recapped what happened, um, that is on my my solo Finding Freedom feed. If you're listening to this on the Lines of Liberty Network feed, you get all three of our shows on my um, Finding Freedom solo feed. Um, it's just my content. Of course, you get you know every Thursday this show, but uh, I mixed in on Tuesday is when I aired that recap. So you can find that podcast, Finding Freedom, anywhere podcasts are found. Um, if it doesn't come up on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or Overcast or wherever you're looking, if it doesn't come up on a Finding Freedom search, just put in Finding Freedom, John Odermatt, it'll pop right up. So if you haven't subscribed yet, please go ahead and do it. And as always, um, on both of these feeds, uh, I would appreciate and uh, my fellow Lions of Liberty would appreciate a uh, a five-star rating and a review. It does help with the algorithms. I know you probably get sick of hearing podcasters say it, but if you're listening to a bunch of episodes and you like it, it takes a minute to do. So we appreciate it. Let's get to the interview. All right, I am joined by Spike Cohen, and uh, this is an in-person interview. So yes. this is this is a rarity, a this very is... rare in-person Spike interview. Yes, <laughs> I think the the last person I interviewed in person was at the PA convention last year was uh, Scott Horton. Yes, and uh, we were sitting in a in a lobby of a hotel, crowded lobby. Yes, it was loud, but uh, still turned out decently. So we got at least a secluded environment here. So it should, somewhat secluded, yeah, exactly. It should, uh, it should go well. Yes. but uh, good to meet you in person, Spike. Absolutely good. And to you, I know you've been on you've been on Mark's show before, and I'm sure you got into your your backstory there and. Um, talking about really your liberty origin story. Um, my show is called Finding Freedom. So one of the things that I'm really interested in is you're an entrepreneur, right? And I think you've kind of set yourself up in a unique way to have this freedom right now 
were you able to travel around to these different libertarian conventions? So I'd like to ask you first, if you could start out talking a little bit about that entrepreneur, entrepreneurial journey and where that, that bug came from. So it's interesting. The, the bug actually came from not wanting to work for anyone else. And I, uh, I uh, am thankful to my parents for, um, for kind of instilling that. because, And the way they instilled that was by saying, uh, when I turned uh, 13, they said, you know, we're taking care of all your basic needs. If you want your own stuff, if you want to buy things, if you want things that you don't actually need, you know, during the summer especially, you can go get a job and, and find it. Uh, this technically violated child labor laws, but uh, which, uh, and I'll explain why I think they at least need to be reformed if, uh, if I'm not sure if gotten rid of entirely, but certainly reformed. Um, I, uh, at 13, decided I wanted to get a job. And so I would do these bit jobs, uh, uh, mostly bussing tables at, uh, at bars and, and restaurants during the summer. I, I live in Myrtle Beach. So mm-hmm. uh, just where our house was, we were within a, a bike ride of like, a short bike ride of like 30 or 40 restaurants. We, we live near what's called restaurant row oh, in yeah. Myrtle beach. So just a ton of restaurant, 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 restaurant. And so it was, well, I was well positioned to be in the, in the, the restaurant industry uh, at the, at the entry level. And, uh, and it was amazing. I was making like five bucks an hour under the table. And, um, and uh, by the way, for uh, legal purposes, this is all um, just entertainment. Um, but I was he's, making, he's just playing a character in, in Minecraft. I did this in Minecraft. Anyway, so yeah, I'd make five bucks under the table, and then uh, and I got tipped out by the waiters and waitresses, um, and that was kind of arbitrary. It was based on what they wanted to tip me out. And what was cool there was I learned that you know I also had to start buying my own things that I wanted besides you know basic stuff, clothing, food housing, the things my parents were taking care of, if I wanted to have like a specific thing that I wanted, uh, I, I had to buy it myself. So now I was getting a concept of the, the value of money uh, and working for it. Um, but I also learned networking because the, the uh, wait staff that tipped me out more were the ones I had a better rapport with. And if I built more of a rapport, and again, I'm a 13 year old talking with, you know, uh, I guess 18, 19, 20, maybe the oldest was like 25 or something. So they weren't, you know, they were at the time they seemed, you know, way older than me, but you know, now it's, they're all kids in my mind. I'm now 40. But, uh, at the time it was like, you know, a whole different tier up from, you know, my age group. And I learned just to talk with them, make small talk, develop a rapport, find things that were, and and that worked out to me getting more money. And so that was a very powerful thing. Um, and then the other thing was realizing that, you know, there was a boss there, um, the manager, uh, actually, I don't remember now if he was a manager or owner at the, the main place that I worked at most summers, um, who was in his, I'd say, late 30s, early 40s, um, maybe a little bit older. And, uh, you know, he was making good money because uh, and I actually believe he was the owner. And, uh, you know, he was making really good money. There were other people there his age that were one level up from where I was. They would sometimes help with busing when it got busy. And the rest of the time they were working in the kitchen and mm-hmm. they were making a little bit more than I am. I think they were probably making six bucks an hour. And actually they weren't getting tipped out. So I might have been making more than them. And I thought I'm 13 or 14, 15, you know, as long as I was doing this. And I thought, I don't want to be doing this when I'm in my 40s or 30s. And really, I don't want to be working for anyone. I I would rather be uh, the guy who owns the thing. And so very early on, and college always seemed like a scam too. 
um, you know, uh, to me anyway, it was like, spend all this money to not be working. And then you should be able to make more money once you get out. And mm -hmm. I didn't want to be like a doctor or a lawyer or anything like that. And I thought, well, I don't think that's the path for me. So then I got into, uh, I decided to, uh, start a company that would allow me to work from home. Uh, that would, uh, not seem weird that I was really young because I started at, at 16 mm -hmm. would not seem weird that I was young doing this um, that I could learn on my own would not require me to go to school or anything like that and that uh, and that was kind of an emerging uh, market and that was web design it just seemed to work out perfectly let me jump in now and ask you more about that company in a minute but yeah. let's go back to that decision so 13 14 15 year old spike yeah and you said you, you, you saw what was happening. You saw that really two paths. And it's interesting because some people will look at that and they'll take the, like the political advocacy route and say, well, you know, the person in that role who's in their 40s, who's making less money, they should make, they should, you know, make a living wage for, for having that job. Right. So when you come back to that and you reflect on that decision, why do you think that, you think that was something natural within you? or something ingrained from your parents that you saw the world in that way. And I guess the second part of that question is, how can we get more people to see the world in that way? <laughs> um, I'll tell you an interesting thing. I, I want to answer that second part first. Um, the interesting thing about it is we've seen with the gig economy, that is the natural desire of people to have some level of autonomy. And during the time of the lockdowns where people were forced not to be able to work for other people, or at least not in their preferred field of work um, at the salary they were typically making, more and more people moved over to that. And a lot of them haven't come back. That's a big reason for the labor shortage we're having right now is a lot of people said, you know, initially it was, I'll just stay at home and make 600 bucks a, a, a week. But that's mostly dried up at this point. Uh, in fact, I think it's completely dried up. It's now people saying, "Now nah, I'll just work gig economy. I'll just work these two different things. I do Uber Eats and DoorDash, and I, I, you know, deliver things for Amazon, and you know, that makes me about the same money I was making before. And I get to drive around all day, and I get to hang out, and I have pretty much setting my own schedule. And that is a certain level of that, uh, if not entrepreneurial spirit, at least the spirit of saying I want to have more autonomy over my work-life balance and and not be, you know in a cubicle or, or, you know, in, in a, in a hot kitchen, uh, you know, as a support staff, uh, and, and all of that. So I think that, I think that's where that comes from. The question of, um, is it something that's, you know, the sort of nature versus versus nurture question. That's a tough one because I, I do think, I mean, I have, it seems like everyone in my family is some level of entrepreneur or would work their way very quickly up a company to when they where they were um, you know at or or near the top of that company so I, it may be something somewhat naturalness but it also may be something that we're nurturing like I said how many people's parents are telling their teenagers go get a job to you know to pay for your own stuff so especially nowadays yeah exactly especially weird. nowadays I, I was that last generation of kids that actually I wasn't a latchkey kid they would let me go inside if they weren't there but I was that last generation of kids that the parents might not necessarily know where they are that very second um, you know I didn't have a cell phone at that time and, and can't so track your kid yeah, can't track time. your kid and and so um, you know, I mean, I think they had a vague understanding of where I was and stuff like that, but not, but not, you know, like it is now. And I, they certainly were like, yeah, go, I, I was given, I was afforded a level of autonomy that I think was even pretty rare for back then and certainly unheard of now. I'm sure some people would call it child abuse, but it definitely was not child abuse. <laughs> yeah. My parents were fantastic to me, but they or, uh, afforded me a level of, 
uh, I shouldn't say child abuse, child, some, some would call it child neglect. And they'd be wrong because my parents were always made sure all my needs were met, were very supportive of me, my whole, still are very supportive of me my whole life, but they also afforded me a level of autonomy and a level of responsibility, even in my teens. Yeah, and I think that that's important. And I mean, that's the thing really in this country and in, in the world, I think we need to get, get back to. And I feel, I'm fearful that we're kind of drifting drifting away into this protective society where, yep. where kids aren't given the uh, the space to to make those mistakes so they can learn from them and this it's I mean it's kind of to be determined what's gonna what this what this is gonna lead to yeah um, so that's that's a fear but so let's let's get back to that the company you started yes um, so you're what age when you when you started it up I officially started at 16. In retrospect, for the first few months, it was kind of tongue in cheek. I made some websites for uh, some uh, clients of that uh, clients uh, of my parents or people my parents knew. So it was very, very media. I called it Spike Cohen Internet Associates of America. It was very, yeah, it was, it was, it was very tongue in cheek. But I did want to do something with it. Um, and then, so that was the first couple months. By the time I was getting close to 17 was when I was taking it more seriously. I had made a few websites at this point. I would go around you know, in my 86 LeBaron that the AC sometimes worked and uh, in my laptop. And I would go into companies and these were small businesses. So the internet existed and had existed for quite some time. It wasn't mm-hmm. as though, you know, there was this new thing called the internet and no one knew what it was. But n- small business websites were just starting to pop up. Oh, yeah. That wasn't really a thing. It was still in the era this was you know 98 99 there were still web uh, most companies were like nah, i got my my I, i'm happy with the business i have i've got my you know yellow page ad mm-hmm. i've got my my billboard ad i've got my radio spot I, I don't need whatever this thing is you're talking about so what i did was i offered it for free i would go in again very little overhead i'm 16 years old still living with my yeah. parents so you know i'd had very little overhead and i had way more time than money and so what i could do was go to people and say hey listen um you know uh, i'm spike and uh this is a you know uh how would you like to have a website for your company and uh, almost always they would ask this very early on they'd ask what is a website and what's going to do for me? And I said, well, a website is something that's free right now. And uh, what it can do for you is bring in a, a whole host of people that are looking for your services online. Instead of you trying to find them, they're already looking for you. We just let them know you exist. So so initially you would pay for you know whatever the website was, Joe's Hardware, or would they pay for it? I, so initially I would usually pay for that. Yeah. Um, very quickly after the first few, I would have them just pay a basic thing. They'd pay for just the domain mm-hmm. and just the hosting. And then, uh, and, and really it was to add to my, and I, I tried to get a bunch of different companies because I wanted to add to my portfolio. I wanted to be able to go to a real estate company yeah. and say, look at these real estate sites I've made for your competitors. I'd like to be able to go to a restaurant or a hotel or a, a lawn care business or whatever else and say, you know, here's what I made for your competitors. Look mm-hmm. how well they're doing. Look at what happens when you type in lawn care Myrtle Beach or landscaping Myrtle Beach and, you know, they come up at the top. That's what everyone that's on the internet uh, is, uh, is finding uh, instead of you. Um, and so... Very quickly, I was able to go from not charging anything to charging pretty... I always tried to stay at the lower end of the market value um, because I was kind of churning them out. It was sort of a higher volume model. Um, but I, I was definitely charging you know, more than any 16, 17-year-old, 18-year-old yeah. was making at that point. That's a powerful lesson. I think people are afraid to give things away for free. 
Yes. Um, they're afraid to give their skills away for free. But once you do that, and I mean, as long as I mean, as long as you have a plan for doing it. Yes, you, yeah. You, don't don't yeah. Don't do it without a set. <laughs> my my plan was build up a portfolio, and and again, I was in a situation where you know, I didn't have a lot of overhead, you mm-hmm. know, like I, I gas for my car, like the things that my parents said, Hey, listen, you want to have the luxuries of life, like, you know, driving your car around, then, you know, you, you, yeah. you pay for that, but everything else was taken care of. So, uh, but you know, there are some people that are starting their business. They still have a, you know, a full-time or part-time job they're doing to help subsidize oh, that yeah. in the meantime. I, I am definitely a fan of offering things at free or reduced rates when you're starting in the market to demonstrate your value and build up your portfolio. Mm-hmm. So how did you scale that company from there? Did you, did you grow it, bring in other people, um, yeah, yeah. end so, up selling it? What's, what's the full story? So, so two things that happened. Uh, were that I um, I did it did scale up. It reached a point where it was more business than I could do. I actually reached a point. I remember I went to a conference um, and I spoke. That's why I'm used to speaking at conferences and conventions. Mm-hmm. It's now new. I'm doing it in the Libertarian Party or, or you know for different events and stuff like now that. Now it all makes sense. But but I've been doing it. I would just used to do it for why they should give me money. Um, and so I would go to these conventions. I would speak about search engine optimization. Uh, uh, towards the end there, I would be talking about social media and stuff like that. Um, um, what, whatever else, um, uh, mobile optimization of your website, whatever thing they'd have me come in, but it was basically a sales pitch. They'd mm-hmm. have me come in and give a sales pitch, offer a promotional one time only, you know, once in a lifetime discount every time. And, uh, and then, you know, I, I but I, within the next 12 hours, within the next 12 hours, you could be one of the lucky few to get a 35% discount that I will never offer until I'm at the next convention doing this. Again. And so I, I, uh, I would do that. And I remember there was a time and I sold, I don't even remember how many packages. It was over a dozen. I'd made a ton of money and I came home and I instantly felt dread. I was going to have to make all these things. And, uh, you know, I was going to be busy for the next month and a half making mm-hmm. these sites and it was, life was going to suck and I wasn't going to be able to spend any time with my family. And so at that point, I realized, okay, the good news here is that you've reached a point where you can start bringing people in. And once I allowed perfect not to be the enemy of good and i let go of that perfectionism of of the the my craft of making a website mm-hmm. in favor of uh you know being able to make more money and, and have more of a work-life balance i started outsourcing i never had like uh, struck uh, like actual employees i would just basically on like a gig level like i need this done i can pay this much mm-hmm. and there's plenty of people out there they don't want to do the networking stuff they don't want to do the marketing stuff they don't want to find the clients give me a job i'll do it i don't even want to look at anyone i don't want to leave my house let me just go ahead and do that and uh and so it worked out perfectly the other side of that was as i started working with more and more companies i found that so many startups had absolutely no clue what they were doing uh they had no idea they they knew how to do the service they were doing but they didn't know how to run the business so when i would uh they'd hire me to do a website and i'd start asking basic questions like uh you know what's your service area and they're like i don't i don't know what that means i guess uh you know uh, i guess anywhere within 100 miles of here and i'm like you're gonna do lawn care anywhere like have you what's your what's your targeted service here you know what 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 areas are or i'd ask uh, um other questions like you know what are what are the main services that you want to offer what are your highest uh you know your lowest overhead so what are your what are your biggest uh you know gainers like what make you the most profit and they're like well, i don't know and i'm I like thought about that yeah before. i hadn't thought about that i'm a lawn person or i'm a i'm a whatever they knew how to do their service mm-hmm. but they didn't know how to actually run a business and so what i started offering to people is i say listen here's what it will cost to make you a website i don't even know if you have this much money right now but if you do um it sounds like you aren't really fully sure what you're doing. I've worked with a lot of startups, including my own, 
And instead, I can charge you nothing now. You make me a not-so-silent partner in your company. I help you through this initial phase of getting your company started. And once you're turning a profit and things are going, you can buy me out for this amount. It's a lot more than it is right now, but you'll actually have someone in your company that can help you with this. So I started doing a lot of those. I made a lot of money doing that. So I was sort of a silent partner, and I don't even know how many companies. I'd have to go Mm. through my books and look at that. But it really, it gave me a lot of experience that I've applied to some of the glaring things I see in the Libertarian Party on what works and what doesn't work for organizations that are trying to grow. That's interesting. I mean, that, that is a, that's, that's a brilliant business model um, to be able to go into these different businesses, take that skill set. And I mean, it's almost like, I mean, each business is going to be different, but at the end of the day, it's like, like, you, like you explained. I mean, you're looking for, you know, your best margins. You want to scale those areas. Yeah. And uh Rinse, repeat, do it again. That's yeah. awesome. And for for a company that I hadn't worked in that kind of sector before, because I mean, small business service is small business service for the most part. Mm-hmm. But if there was something that was a little bit different, a relatively short one or two hour conversation about specifics about what they do and the kind of clients that they need and so forth would allow me to retool what I knew about small business startup in general to what they're doing. So I mean, but but in general, small what a small business that is offering service to a, a regional localized area mm-hmm. is is doing you're just retooling it for whatever their service is it, it there's it for the most part it there's not that much difference from small business service to small business service yeah. hey let's take a quick break in the show i want to tell you all about an awesome company uh, run by like-minded people people who love liberty and care about these ideas it's called paloma verde cbd Um, It is run by a couple out of San Antonio, Texas. If you're someone who uses CBD to relax, to sleep, for joint pain, muscle pain, all those different things, they have what you need. Um, You can find your your full spectrum tinctures. You can find flavored, unflavored, massage oil, bath bombs, gummies, uh, CBD salve to help to fight inflammation and joint pain and stuff like that. A, A menthol sports cream and even dog chews. For your uh, four-legged friends. So please, if you haven't already, check out Paloma Verde CBD. All you have to do, go to their website, palomaverdecbd.com, and put in ROAR at checkout for 20% off your order, guys. Uh, you can't beat this deal. Head over to Paloma Verde CBD and get some good products, feel better, be healthier, and enjoy life. I mean, it sounds like you're passionate about entrepreneurship. Are you still are you still involved? Do you still have ventures going on? No, you- I, I retired from all of that. I got out of all of that after I was diagnosed with MS. Okay. And it had reached a point where, you know, before I'd reached a point where I could do I had I could only do that much work myself. I had then reached a point where I could only do so much of even the level of up that I was myself. And it was right at the point where I was looking at, you know, Uh, going to the next level where I'm managing other people that are doing startups and things like that. The stress of it, and in retrospect, I was just, I was burning the candle from like five different ends, uh, including just the sides of the candle and just expecting it to to hold up. And uh, I ended up um, waking up and the right side of my body was numb. 
a few weeks later, uh, after many tests, they said, you probably have MS. Two years later, after multiple relapses and, and some serious conversations about how long I'd be able to walk or see, uh, they, they told me that I, I definitely had MS. And that just made me re, kind of rethink everything. Um, at that point, I'd been chasing money, and mm-hmm. I had reached a point where I didn't have to chase money anymore. Like, I don't actually have to make money anymore. And if I'm not trying to buy an island or, you know, uh, my own airliner or mm-hmm. something like that, you know, my own jet, at this point, what am I doing? And I, I, after spending about a year of hiatus of really doing nothing other than learning how to be more healthy in the way that I lived, my stress management, the way that I interacted with others, I was a much different person back then. I was very um, sort of that stereotypical alpha business owner, Wolf of Wall Street type. I wasn't a bad person, but I was very short-tempered, very mm-hmm. quick, few, just a completely different person than now. I, I would laugh at me back then like Zen Spike who like, yeah. you know, eats uh, is pescatarian and all that. Um, but so, um, it, you know, so after that, after that year of hiatus, I, I spent that time thinking, what do I want my purpose to be? hundred years from now, none of us are going to be here. Uh, very few, maybe toddlers will still be here as mm-hmm. very old people, but most of us, almost none of us will be here. 200 years from now, none of us will be here. All that will matter is what legacy we left behind, if any. And so that's what I started thinking. What do I want my legacy to be? Do I want it? I want it to matter that I was even here. What do I want that to be? It can't just be he made a bunch of money and then he died. And so that kind of brought me to the liberty movement. It was something I'd always been passionate about, but it was always on the back burner of my, you know, my, my business. Well, now that I take my business out of the way, that's what got me into my liberty activism. And that's why I kind of came out of nowhere three years ago. Yeah, so let, let's talk about that because the, <laughs> the first I heard about you was from uh, Dan Smots. Yes, I won't say his real name, but I think everyone knows him as Dan Smots. Yes, and uh, you were running as uh, as Vermin Supreme's vice pres- vice presidential candidate. Yes, and yeah, Dan brings you up. He's you got to check out the Spike Cohen guy. I'm like Spike Cohen. Who are you even talking about? I've, I've never heard of him. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it, it, as soon as you came on the scene, it, yeah, it was like. It was crazy. It was like you were made for it, you know, kind of to uh, to be that libertarian activist. You just went right into it naturally. And you kind of came from like a, it seemed like from a silly angle at yes, first. Yes, Very, you know, a lot of joking with the uh, shirt uh, off, uh, obviously. Uh, and you've, I mean, it's, it's interesting because you've transformed yourself multiple ways. You transformed yourself from the entrepreneur business person into like a sort of silly <laughs> libertarian vice presidential candidate and now into like a more satire candidate yeah more serious yep, candidate yep. so can you talk about that, that absolutely transition? so it's one thing important important thing to know about people when i say people i don't mean individual people i mean as a group as a group especially in politics people have exceedingly short attention spans it's why government's able to get away with what it does it's why government is able to it's why joe biden in the same speech that he praised the ukrainians who are using machine guns to fend off the russian military then turned around and explained why none of us should have ar-15s it's it i mean when i say it's short it is short and so i thought okay i'm coming out of nowhere i don't know how long I am going to be here for. I mean, I, it, it, my MS has been in remission for many years. Uh, I am the healthiest I've been in my adult life, but I have MS. And, and you know, I don't know that I've got a 30-year character arc here in politics. Um, mm-hmm. And so I wanted to get in quickly and the opportunity presented itself i I had a fun show that i did mostly just entertainment for me it's become a lot more serious over time but my fellow americans was a decidedly tongue-in-cheek show that i do every every wednesday on muddy waters media there's a shameless plug there um but i i would do the show 
and uh, um, and one of my guests was Vermin Supreme because I wanted to mm -hmm. see like what is this about. And he had a much more serious conversation with me than he usually does because we had fun. And then I said, okay, so you know, let's talk about this. What what is the behind the scenes on this? And so we got to have a really frank discussion. And shortly after that, he and his team reached out to me and said, we're looking for a VP running mate for Vermin. How mm -hmm. would you like to run for the the Libertarian Party <laughs> vice presidential nomination? And I thought, well, first of all, I need to join the Libertarian Party because I never actually officially done that. Um, and then after I did that, um, I, uh, I, I started thinking, you know, what is it I want to do with this? And I thought, well, obviously Vermin Supreme, you know, is getting way more attention than almost anyone else who's running at that mm -hmm. point. Yeah. And, um, and also I'm seeing some glaring, one of the reasons I never joined the party was I just saw some glaring errors in what's being done organizationally, messaging, all sorts of stuff. Um, and I thought, well, you know, I don't know what's, what, if I'm not willing to jump in there like like I'm doing now and really try to make some changes or, or, or try to affect changes and, and lead by example, then I don't know what I'd even be doing there. So once I did decide I wanted to do that, that was my goal, to use humor to get people to go, wait, who the hell is this guy? Why is he holding a pony head on a stick? And then to get their attention, mm -hmm. but then to, because uh, what I was also doing, doing during that, even during the you know silly phase, I would do door knocking tours and housing projects with Jacob Hornberger. I would do college okay. campus tours with the Libertarian Party of North Carolina. I would go and do stuff, and I was basically running what was sort of a model for a general election campaign, and I, the whole purpose of my VP run was to say to people, hey, I'm Spike Cohen, now you know who I am. Also, here's what you guys should be doing when you're running for office. Like, here's the ways that you can do this, and I fully expected them to say, oh, that's great. Oh, Spike, that sounds cool. Uh, good job. Um, okay, we're definitely going to have Larry Sharp do that when we pick him for VP uh, or whoever they picked. And then they ended up picking me. And so... So how, how big of a time, <laughs> nominated as the VP, yes. how big of a shock was that in that moment? In that moment, it wasn't that much of a shock, but yeah. the shock came about a month before that because I, again, I do everything to win. Uh, even I, I ran for vice president to win. I knew our mm -hmm. odds were basically zero there was nothing legally stopping us from winning but we you know people have to know who you are too um so i knew we weren't going to win but i still ran to win i mm -hmm. ran as though we were right there neck and neck in the polls and we just had to you know do whatever we needed to do to, to get the vote and, and to win um that's how i've always done everything i, I don't do things with a mind of well i'm not going to win so i'll just phone it in I, i'd rather not do it if that's the case and so um so i started making delegate calls and, uh, you know, I'm like, Hey, listen, I do, I did cold calling. I've done qualified calling. I know what I'm doing. And so I called and I made, I don't know, probably two, 300 phone calls over the course of a month. And, uh, went right back to some of my cold calling stuff I used to do early on in my business. And, um, I guess this technically wasn't cold calling because they knew who I was and I knew who they were, but uh, certainly they weren't expecting the call. It's pretty pretty close to cold. Calling. Pretty close. It's one. It's one one level uh, better than cold calling. But I would call them and and you know tell them I was running and Vermin was running and uh, I would hear very often, oh no, you're already my VP pick. I'm still you know not sure about Vermin, but you're my VP pick, or you and Vermin are my pick, or. Oh, you know what? I'm glad you called. I have some questions about this whole Vermin thing and what you're doing. And after a short call, they'd go okay, yeah, that sounds good. Okay, I get what you're saying. And, and it was in that moment I thought, I might actually win this thing. Unless these people are just BSing me, which they have no reason to do, I might actually win it. So by the time the actual day came, there were already like unofficial whip counts. People were telling me I'd have it in the third round. And so it, that, 
I mean, it's still a bit of a surprise when it happened, but the real shock came when I was making the calls to the delegates and seeing that I'd already like sold them on my being the VP candidate. So you, you were kind of talking a little bit there about, you know, going back to your old skill set as an entrepreneur. Yeah. How similar is selling Liberty to selling a product? Uh, selling is selling. You retool what you're selling, what your call to action is, what your uh, victory, your win, or your at, your um, uh, your KPIs, they call mm-hmm. it key performance indicators. Yeah. That's really the only difference. Um, selling, the, the act of selling, and, and politics is sales. A lot of people don't like that, uh, that you know messaging isn't sales. It, it is. All human interaction is human interaction. And if you're trying to get people onto your side of something, it, whether you're trying to sell them a product, whether you're trying to sell them a service, mm-hmm. whether you're trying to sell them your ideas or your candidacy, it's all coming from the same thing. You have to meet them where they are. Uh, you have to demonstrate that you understand what their main concerns are or listen to their concerns mm-hmm. and then reflect back that you understand what they said if you're doing that kind of thing. Um, you have to explain what the problem is, how we got here, and then what your solution is to that. Um, a method that's used a lot in sales is called feel, felt, found. Uh, I understand how you feel. Many other people have felt that mm-hmm. way. Here's what we found can fix that. Um, and um, and so I apply kind of a modified version of that. And that's selling is selling to me. And the same uh, methods that I was using to sell my web design is the same stuff I'm doing when I go on, you know, progressive or conservative talk radio and you know by the end of the thing they're agreeing with me on most things and rethinking just how libertarian they might be it's the same it's the same thing yeah that makes sense so you talked before about doing things to win that's in your nature you know if it's for business if it's for uh, the vp nomination doing it to win yeah libertarian party do you think and we're not calling anyone out individually but Uh just as a strategy do you think libertarians get involved in races that they shouldn't, that there's no chance of them winning and really should be focusing in areas where they, where they can win, maybe, maybe more locally? Generally speaking, yes. Now, to be clear, um, there are certainly some races you have to run a candidate for it. Um, for example, president, vice president mm-hmm. or whatever, um, or, or even governor and, and so, and a combination of some states require that for ballot access, like in order mm-hmm. to run for uh, city council or auditor or constable or whatever, you have to have a candidate. And in some states, that candidate has to get a certain number of votes, yeah. you know, for president, for governor, for Congress, whatever. So you have to have it for that. And also it can be an effective tool for messaging and bringing people in. But I will still say this, even if, and this was something I disagreed with the, with the, I guess the, the head of the, the Jorgensen Cohen campaign people, you know, they were saying, well, our win is this many people joining the party and, uh, you know, this much in, in, in new members and, and, you know, this many down ballot victories. And I said, okay, those are some KPIs that we want to use, but our win needs to be to win because the more we're trying towards that, if that is our ultimate goal, even if we go nowhere near it, even if we get two and a half percent instead of one and a half percent, that will inevitably mean that all those other KPIs are going to do better. Mm-hmm. If we're focusing on those KPIs, then that's reflo- ref- as, as our win, that's reflected in how we're running and the way that we look to people who are looking at it. And there are many people out there, even if they know we're not going to win, they're not going to vote for us if we aren't even trying, yeah. if it doesn't even look like we're trying to win. There are a lot of people that are just going to be turned off by that. So no, I, I am a big fan of 
running local, which is why I'm actually here in Pennsylvania is to congratulate them on everything they've been able to do winning all these local races. And yes, they're local races, but I got news for everyone listening to this if they don't already realize this. Long before they're going to vote for us in the White House, some party that is completely outside of what they've been told is the you know normal political spectrum. Mm-hmm. Long before they're even going to vote for us in Congress or in their governor's mansion uh, or possibly even as a state rep, they need to see what our ideas look like in their backyard, in their community. And that's where we can affect the most change the most quickly. We can change a city council uh, or, or, or even the existing city council's opinion on a subject long before we can change you know, what's happening in Congress or, or in mm-hmm. the White House. Um, and we have the wherewithal to do it. We're already winning these races, even though our, we're still putting, I believe, way too much focus on the, the top of the ticket. Um, we're still winning. So imagine how much more we could do you know, if we were focusing on the lower races, my last, uh, in 2020, uh, and in the, uh, 2021 special election in April, and then the 2021 general election in November, we won, uh, over 50% of the races that we ran candidates in across the country. Mm-hmm. Pennsylvania got, uh, close to what? 200 elected officials. That's, yeah. that's stuff we've never done before. I think we could win a thousand races if we focused like Pennsylvania has been focused, the, the molten maneuver across the country, we could easily win a thousand races. I, I agree with you on, you know, get winning the races that are there to win, yes. that are either unopposed or where, where you have a chance to win. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing, the thing that, you know, comes to mind for me though, is you want to be able to measure your return on investment because with, with the molten maneuver and for people who aren't familiar with it, essentially what it is, is a way uh, to use election data to determine all the empty, um, you know, local races, yeah, unopposed, and, races. unopposed races, yeah. and uh, and basically just you just you know register and uh, you you, you uh, win the race, but <laughs> which is insane. Is I mean, right? a, a, a lot of these things are. I mean, it's just for the years that people they just people appoint their friends to the seats. Yeah, but yeah. but in this case, you know, um, there's an election and, and and the libertarian wins. But the thing for me is. You got to be able to measure, and maybe this is years. Maybe it's years down the road. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. But sure, you get 150 or 170 Pennsylvania local libertarians elected. Right, right. What was the return for individual liberty in the state of Pennsylvania at this point? Nothing yet. But like you're saying, you're starting to build up that um, cachet in, in your local, uh, you know, local municipalities and townships. You're starting to build up a resume where you can, you know, be a uh, you know local. Uh, I don't even know what these auditor. And yep. then when you run for mayor, you can say, I was, I was auditor, the auditor I and look at what I did as auditor. So, yeah. so what's your viewpoint on that? How do we, how do you measure that success to know that what you're pouring a lot of money into, because it isn't cheap to do yeah. is actually returning value. Well, I think if you poured the same amount of money into, for example, a larger higher up race and uh, didn't even get enough votes to get ballot access, but you put that money into these races and you elect 200, uh, you know, auditors, uh, county officials, school board members, which by the way, mm-hmm. I mean, you want to talk about return on investment. That's big. That's Libertarian big, yeah. school board is probably one of the biggest victories that, that, that the Libertarian Party had. Libertarians in this era of school referring to parents as non-educators and having actual Libertarians in there saying, no, 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 mm-hmm. we're going to completely change this. This is, you know, this is how we're going to treat parents. Parents, number one, and their desires uh, in how, in how mm-hmm. we educate their kids is, is how we operate. Um, 
the answer to your question on how do we measure it, um, you answered it to a large extent, uh, the getting them in there, they build a portfolio, but there's something else. I've spoken to a lot of people uh, uh, about the Libertarian Party and about libertarianism uh, on the left and on the right. And the overwhelming uh, narrative or the overwhelming con- uh, sentiment I get from them is that, you know what, you guys make a lot of sense on a lot of things. And frankly, I'm just sick of the two-party system. I've heard that so many times. I'm just sick of the two-party system. I might even vote for a party that I thought could win just to not vote Republican or Democrat mm-hmm. anymore because I'm sick of it. But you can't win. And the more we win, and yes, it starts mm-hmm. low. It starts mm-hmm. with, you know, we're already past dog catcher. Uh, you know, auditor and constable and, and, uh, and uh, you know, city council and, and the occasional state rep. That's well above dog catcher. So we're already mm-hmm. past dog catcher phase. But even if it was dog catcher, if, if we get hundreds, thousands of libertarians elected and someone says you can't win, and I say tell that to the 3,000 libertarians that have been elected across yeah. the city, and here's what they've been able to do while they're in there, you can't win turns into look what they're doing and look how, how much they've been able to accomplish. Now, uh, something else I'd like to talk about is an organization that I'm in the process of launching, which sure. is called You Are the Power. Because part of the problem is also that a lot of people are not going to buy in to voting libertarian until we're already at the point where we don't even need their vote or we we only need their vote to win like the white house but we're already winning congressional races we're already running you know gubernatorial races mayoral races and things like that you are the power is going to be that gap in between where people can buy in localized activism that is libertarian in nature and explicitly so but is outside of the party um adjacent to the party and running parallel with the party so for example you know you say to me uh you know i i like a lot of what you guys are saying but i'm not gonna vote for you you can't win i don't want to leave the republicans or, or democrats or whatever and i go that's great uh there's a tax increase in your town that we're fighting you want to join us uh there's a uh there is a uh you know a, a move to decriminalize uh cannabis in your county um do you want to join us on that this is how we can this is what we're working on um giving people across the political spectrum because there are people on the left that will agree with us on you know drug decriminalization police mm-hmm. reform criminal justice reform there are people on the right that will agree with us on you know taxes and gun you know uh, gun uh, second amendment sanctuaries all sorts of stuff uh and there are people on the center that will agree with us on a few things on on both sides and we're giving them a buy-in to be part of the liberty movement without having to go full bore and start voting for a party they don't think can win. In doing so, we grow the liberty movement. We make it more viable for those candidates to be able to run on, hey, remember when I helped you with this and this and this? Well, now I'm running for city council. And they have a built-in base of support. Mm-hmm. And something I've been saying for quite some time, the more we can bring people into our orbit, the more we can affect them with our gravity. The more people come into the liberty movement, the more involved they are in it. You know, think of when you first joined the liberty movement. You've probably become more libertarian over time because you're around other libertarians. Mm-hmm. You're hearing the consistency of our ideas and any, you know, statist bugaboos that you may have had before have kind of slowly melted away. That happens as well. So what You Are the Power is going to be is that organization for that localized grassroots activism, empowering activists to do that work, even if all these ex-libertarians, all these people that have been burned by the party, all these people who just think party politics is a joke and they just want to do direct activism, all these people that want to stay in the Republican or Democrat parties but agree with us on these things, all the normies who just want to be involved on this one pet issue that's really burning them up, Mm -hmm. everyone here has a home in this sort of decentralized grassroots activism network that we're building to be able to do that. I like that a lot for, for two reasons. 
maybe one reason, two two reasons related <laughs> to one reason, because you're giving them an action. Yes. And that action, you're giving them somewhere to put energy, to put money, to put resources towards. And that, from my experience, like with our local Libertarian Party, yes. we have so much trouble getting, okay, we want to ask for donations. Well, for what? What, what do we want? What, do we, what, what are we going to tell people that, that we're doing? So to have something you can point to, we're fighting this, you know, we're trying to decriminalize uh, you know, marijuana in, yeah. in the city or whatever. Yeah. That that's so important. I, I'm I'm glad you're starting that. Yeah, that's it's, awesome. it's and it came as a reaction to we we've been doing it sort of as a proof of concept. Uh, I went out to Russell, Kentucky, and we fought against an eminent domain action that they were using to enrich the pockets of the the council mm-hmm. there. Uh, we were able to successfully kill a, uh, a, a incentivized. Uh, they they basically they were going to start using the court system to pay off snitches, um, and uh, they were using abortion as their pretext for doing it oh, but wow. once once that pandora's pandora's box is opened it was going to be used for everything and they didn't even have an abortion clinic in the county they wanted to be able to pay snitches using the court court system thousands of dollars uh per snitch and so we went in we made sure that the council there knew what they were actually voting for we killed that bill um we uh, uh recently uh, i was at a, a city council meeting for a police department in gastonia north carolina that uh attacked and uh, an arm uh, homeless army veteran uh and tased his dog his service dog uh separated him from the dog which is actually against federal law and uh and the dog ended up later dying and um they won't release the release the body cam footage so we went there to make sure that the public knew in gastonia what they were doing and that was that's been very successful um we want to supercharge that this all came as a result of i would do these events off of the libertarian party i would get invited to a dinner party uh that you know 150 people would show up you know come meet spike cohen libertarian vp candidate and i'd show up all these people are excited for liberty none of them are in the party okay none of them are wow. libertarians some of them had joined the party had joined the party got burned out you know got sick of title squatters using all their hard work and and you know claiming it for themselves got sick they were at the top did all this hard work it wasn't recognized so they left like all, all these different reasons that they left other people that just think the libertarian party is a joke other people that just aren't involved in, in party politics but mm-hmm. you know they're they're feeling more and more in, in favor of liberty they watch whatever show or whatever podcast that really gets them on fire and uh, they would say what are we going to do what do we do? And they were on fire. They were ready to pull out checkbooks. And I would say, well, the biggest thing we can do right now is join our local Libertarian Party. And I would watch the hope fade from their eyes. Yeah. And I realized my call to action for these people, yeah. for this group of people, sucks. Mm-hmm. They don't want it. They don't want the Libertarian Party. If they actually knew what we're trying to do, they would be for it. Or most of them would. What if instead I gave them, oh, actually... In this town, we're doing X, Y, and Z. And in this near, nearby town or in this county, we're doing this. And in this state, we're doing this. And remotely, you can help with this and this and this. We probably could have walked out of just that one party with probably 20, 30 grand in, in donations easily because they were on fire. But my call to action sucked. And I realized walking out of there and, and other similar meetings like that, I need to have a better call to action. And that's what you where the power is. I mean, that's really strike me because, I mean, for so long, I've heard people push back and say, well, I mean, what's been the problem for, you know, 30, 40 years, yep. we've been preaching the message of liberty and we're not growing. I mean, we're not, we're not gaining influence. Why Certainly not? not the way we want and it's, to. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's the call to action. That, that, that's what it is. Yep. So, but I, I think that's, I mean, that kind of shines a light on the issue. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Our buy-in sucks. But we're, we're fixing it. <laughs> we, we, are fi- we are fixing it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I will, I will give a side note. 
Um, right now, there's, a, you know, anyone who's following the Libertarian Party knows that there's a lot of factionalism mm-hmm. and there is a, a, a growing consensus that the problem is just the messaging uh, and maybe the organizational structure, how things are getting done. That is certainly a problem. Neither of those has anything to do with the fact that 95% of voters look at us if they even know what we exist, they look at us long enough to go, oh, yeah, third party, I'm not voting for them. Yeah. We have to fix that. It doesn't matter how based our Twitter account is. It doesn't matter how solid our messaging is. Those things help. Mm-hmm. And given a long enough period of time could certainly you know, get us in a better direction that we need to go. And those are things that need to be done. It is completely irrelevant to the fact that the buy-in still sucks. Join this party that you think can't win uh, and take your vote away from a, someone you think can win and is maybe marginally better than the other guy. And that's not a that is not a compelling argument for the vast majority yeah. of people. And we that's what I'm trying to build a buy-in to pull people into that movement with that good messaging and that party that has an infrastructure to run more candidates and win races. But we have to have a better earlier buy-in first. We we got to meet them a little. Our pipeline isn't quite long enough, yeah. and we need to. I'm just adding to the pipeline to bring them in. Yeah, the the Twitter account and the messaging that's all great. You need the funnel. I yes, mean, absolutely. The bigger, sure, yeah. but yeah, you need you need the process. You need to it to be longer, bigger and longer. Yeah. yeah. So I think this room might be on fire. I don't know if you smell that, but oh. <laughs> something smells like it's burning. It's us. <laughs> it might, it's us. It might it's us. us. We're on fire. It might, it might be us. We're but uh, thanks for joining me, Spike. Absolutely. Be- before man. I let you go, um, let people know all your plugs. Everything sure. You're absolutely. On, yeah. uh, so my website is spikecohen.com. Um, and uh, my social media, you can find me on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. I'm on TikTok for the kids. And uh, and I'm actually now active on TikTok. You can't the, say it like that. TikTok for the kids. And people will be like, oh, what do you, what do you mean you're on TikTok for the kids? Well, because the... the <laughs> all, okay, put it this way. All my TikTok followers look like actual children. Now, some of them are like, you know, in their 20s, but all, people in their 20s look yeah. like children. All joking right aside, that is important for libertarians to oh, be on things is. like TikTok and making reels on Instagram. To, Side you know. note here. There is an... I joke and say, you know, I'm on TikTok for the kids. Yeah. There is an entire ecosystem of libertarians who we don't even know of, and they have tens and hundreds of thousands of followers. Wow. And I went on there. I've got like, I don't know, 6,000 followers right now or whatever. And I'll see some, you know, someone's already got their check mark, and they'll be like, oh my God, Spike Cohen's on TikTok. And I'm like, I don't even know who this person is. And they're exponentially more popular than I am. Wow. There's an entire ecosystem there of people that are like 30 and under, 25 and under. Some of them are in their like late teens, and they're doing liberty TikTok, and we don't even know who the hell they are it's a whole thing I'm, I'm trying to get in there i'm trying to reach the kids um but yeah so i'm on tiktok as well um it's easy to find me on social media uh the 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 north star is just you know st- you know follow the atf and when they post something on facebook you'll see my comment and uh that's, that's, how, that's, that's true that's if you ever get lost joke. just hug a tree and wait for the next <laughs> atf post um but on my website, SpikeCohen.com, I also have sort of my uh, all of my upcoming events, things I'm going to be at uh, and speak at. And if I'm coming anywhere near where you're at, come on out and like like John did, come and get to talk to me. Ask me any questions you have. I, I love meeting people, you know, in person. I love answering their questions. Uh, I, I love addressing concerns people have. I think that's so much more important than me showing up and just giving a speech. So, you know, give me an opportunity to do the thing I really like to do. And thank you for that. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that here. And uh, yeah, thanks again, man. All right. Thank you, Spike. We'll see you. Thanks. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview. Another great conversation. Another individual who is taking the actions in life uh, to find personal freedom 
in their own life and helping to achieve the same and helping others really to achieve uh, that same goal. So thank you for listening. And if you want to take it one step further, please consider joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty or on locals. If you prefer that, you can go to lionsofliberty.locals.com and you can join the Lions of Liberty Pride what do you get with the Lions of Liberty Pride? Well, number one, uh, you get access to our bonus content. Uh, Brian McWilliams does a Monday through Friday, like a little quick five-minute episode every day called Good Morning Bleephead. I'm not going to swear because this this episode, there were no swears on it. So, so why uh, mark it explicit? And uh, also, we have Conspiracy Corner, which is about once a month show. And degenerate gamblers, which we call it DG, and there is there is a DG community, people who participate, um, especially during football season, um, where we have some fun with some uh, some fake betting and things like that. We just wrapped up the season with the Super Bowl, had a uh, you know all that good stuff, did a big Super Bowl squares thing, and that'll be kicking off again. We'll do some stuff in the spring when baseball gets up. But then once again in the fall with college football and pro football. So if you're a sports ball fan and you like that stuff like we do, then you can uh, you can join in on that. And also you get you get a, a discount on merchandise. You get access to our Lions of Liberty Pride Facebook group. And there's a bunch of other stuff at a bunch of the higher levels where you can influence the show and uh, all that good stuff. So check it out. We would love um, if you took a more active role in supporting the Lions of Liberty. Like I've talked about on previous episodes, um, we are looking to be you know out there this year, going to events, do, doing uh, you know fun stuff, meeting people. So all of that money that comes in and uh, supports us here, we're going to turn that around and uh, do the best we can to get out and meet you and uh, and spend some time with you, drink a beer, have some fun. So that's all I got for today, guys. Hope you all have a great weekend, and I'll see you next week. Always remember to keep your head up. And the fire's liberty burning.